that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis And uh, Ryan Day said something that I thought was extremely interesting When talking about Kyle McCord, really just the offense in general, Nathan And I want to start there when he was talking, I don't remember what the question was, but he was talking about what he wanted to learn about Kyle McCord. And he brought up the fumble, the fumble and how he responded to that. But I think the more interesting thing, because I think it described the mindset of how Ohio State went about beating Western Kentucky 63 to 10 to close out this quote unquote preseason part of its schedule before we head into the Notre game next week, Notre Dame game next week, excuse me, where he said he could have taken a knee. And I think in most situations, given how much time was left on the clock, you probably do take a knee. But he wanted to see how Kyle McCord responded and how he performed in a two-minute drill situation. And he kept bringing up the word momentum into next week. And it felt like, Nathan, everything Ohio State did, offensively especially, was not about the opponent in front of them. It was about what was going to be going on next week. And that starts with the quarterback, Nathan. Kyle McCord, 19 of 23. 318 yards and three touchdowns. Did you get that same kind of vibe from Ryan Day with the way he was speaking today? Well, not just Day, but Kyle McCord as well. And I had said coming out of last week's game, let's get let's done. We're done with this. We know who the quarterback one is now, and let's get that process started because you're building not to beat Western Kentucky. You're building to beat Notre Dame, and that's got to start now. And Ryan Day got up there and talked a lot about what do you say? Like that was that was. One heck of a week. I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was like mm-hmm. what just what had just happened the week before leading into Saturday was a a departure for them or not a departure. Maybe it's the wrong way, but it, a, a, a step up, a transformation from a Comacord went into more detail about that, saying that he thought that, you know, they had some good moments on offense the first couple of weeks and some moments where they really dragged and that he felt like and I think he felt this about the whole offense that there was maybe some, uh, maybe they weren't preparing as well as they should have been, as intensely as they should have been in those first two weeks. And that this week, things got ramped up. It was a lot more intense. I had heard from someone else uh, recently that I talked to that uh, going into that, maybe it was going into the Youngstown State game that they had a day that was just like, oh, that was a terrible practice. And that maybe some of that led into some of the, again, the disjointed things we were seeing on offense. And this was sounds like a week where like some things snapped into place mentally for a lot of people on this team. And it was not, again, you're, you're bringing up the right thing in momentum because all along this game was only going to be important in how it prepared Ohio state for the challenge it's going to face at, at Notre Dame next week. It's just, uh, I don't think we can overstate. And even if you don't think Notre Dame is truly a top 10 team or truly one of the best teams in the country, you have to acknowledge that it is, from a total overall experience, a big step up from playing, let's say, Western Kentucky or Youngstown State at home. So we we definitely saw, I think, a team today that something clicked for them in terms of just across the board. I think people maybe just having a little bit more sense of purpose in the past week. And now the trick is like bottle whatever happened today, apply it to next week take it to South Bend with you next Saturday. Andrew, I don't want to say they flipped the switch, 
Because, I mean, we, we know sports euphemisms. You can't turn it off, on and off like that, because eventually you go to turn it on, it's not going to come on for you. you got to always be on like that. But just the way the first three weeks of the season played out, where the first two weeks they're having a quarterback battle still, they're trying to figure out which one they're going to roll with long-term, the – they're playing teams who aren't necessarily giving you the best look at what the totality of the defense can do because Indiana's waiting until the one second on the play clock to run a play, and Youngstown State is Youngstown State. Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka don't do much in week one, and they force-feed them in week two. Cade Stover, I, we were talking about this in the booth, Nathan. I don't think Cade Stover had a good game, but statistically he's got five catches for 90 yards. It was just kind of all over the place the first two weeks, Andrew. And then week three, in a week where you probably do need to see it all come together and you need to build you, as we said, momentum heading into that Notre Dame game, it did feel like, uh, Nathan, you said sense of urgency a little bit, that that was on the table here for Ohio State where they wanted to use this game to now our season starts. With this game, our season starts after spending two weeks trying to figure it out. Yeah, one of the things that Ryan Day said that I thought really kind of stood out to me was he mentioned guys running sideline to sideline. You know, I think he mentioned intensity, he mentioned competitiveness, he mentioned all that. And those are words you use to describe a team that has been challenged. And it kind of sounds like there was a challenge. I think he actually used the word challenge there. Like, it kind of sounds like to me, he looked at the team or the coaches on the staff looked at the team and went, hey, guys, this is it. Now it's time to shift it into gear. Because you're you can't sleepwalk through another game and then expect to go beat you know a top ten team on the road like that that just doesn't happen in college football like I mean unless maybe it's Ohio State Michigan State but you know you there are things that you look at from the defensive effort that I think really kind of show that I, I think a switch flipped I really do I think whether you want to say it mentally clicked for this team and say, you know what, they they got it now, they understand it now, or how, you know, they, they have a quarterback now, whatever, whether you want to say that it mentally clicked because they play Notre Dame next week, and they started to look ahead. I mean, Denzel Burke said after the game that he's had this circled on his calendar for a while, that this game at Notre Dame. So if you want to say it's a mental thing, if you want to say it's a physical thing, where it's like, hey, look, they just scored 63 points, like, obviously, they figured something out. There's a lot of different things that I think you can point to and say, hey, look, they they did this and they did that and they did this and they did that. But the effort, I think, and I'm not saying that they weren't giving effort in the first two weeks of the season, but was Indiana a noon kick? What what time was the Indiana game? Memorial Stadium in Bloomington is not exactly a raucous atmosphere. And Ohio Stadium at noon against Youngstown State is certainly not exactly like the peak of Big Ten football. So I think there was kind of this like sleepwalking kind of feeling and there was kind of this sleepy feeling in the first couple of weeks of the season. And now they, whatever it was, it it, it looked like they shook it off. Now, it was Youngstown State or it was Youngstown State and Indiana. Now it's Western Kentucky. And now it's like, okay, is this real? And I think that that's, that's now the question, right? Like that's the question of of today is, was what we just saw real? Like, was the defense, was that repeatable? Was the offense scoring? I don't think they're going to score five, you know, five touchdowns a quarter every week. But was that repeatable? Was that something that you can build on every week? I don't know. So that's a long-winded way of saying, I think the switch did flip. Whatever switch you want to say that is, mental, physical, whatever. 
And now we just have to kind of figure out are the errors that we kind of saw in week one and week two and some of the things that they needed to work on, are those things, you know, still real? So as I mentioned before, Kyle McCord, 19 of 23, 318 yards and three touchdowns. What did we think of full look, full-fledged Kyle McCord offense not working in Devin Brown? Devin Brown played him garbage time, three or four for 40 yards. He had a touchdown and he had a pick that was picked off by a defensive lineman, which I mean, kudos to that defensive lineman. I think that was more of a play on him than it was anything Kyle McC- I mean, Devin Brown did wrong. But what did we think of Kyle McCord and what this offense looks like full throttle with him at the helm of it? It was obviously a, a crisp performance. I thought you saw maybe the ramifications of giving him the full run of the offense, the the full like control of the offense, full authority over the offense. You know what I mean? And just letting him go out and be himself. I just this is a bad defense, man. This <laughs> they weren't cha- they weren't they weren't challenged. This isn't this isn't the kind yeah. of team that Ohio State is going to face uh, on most weeks, even in the Big Ten, from a defensive standpoint. They're not as physical, they're not as talented, they're not as skilled. And I think my impressions of Kyle McCord, I mean, today is what he should do against what is probably essentially no better than Ohio State's second string and is probably actually a step below that. You should carve them up really good. So all, you know, he, he has things that he still has to prove at Notre Dame, but any quarterback would like, you know, CJ Stroud at this state, like when was, when did CJ Stroud? It wasn't really until I, I guess you would say the Probably Michigan Rutgers. game. I guess he had to go, he had to go on the road and beat Penn state. Um, oh yeah. The, yeah. Middle of that, that first year. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like they, you don't get a lot of like road yeah. tests and this is, you know, pretty early on, you have to go on the road test road and win a top 10 game. Uh, it's just that it's it's intangible stuff now that you still are would be asking about Comic Core, but I don't think it's I'm not asking from a from a place of doubt necessarily. It's not about doubt. It's just about he hasn't had to do it yet. He hasn't had to be in that environment. There aren't a lot of things yet that like Marvin Harrison Jr. hasn't had to do and hasn't had to show. He's he's been in about every situation and he's done it. So you know, same for like you know Tommy Eichenberg. Uh, those guys have all like been in, in massive games and sometimes had to go on the road and, and show up. Maybe you don't always win, but you like, you show up and you show that you're at that level. And now it's just comic cords turn. It's just, and he's not the only one. There's plenty of other guys who are going to be doing this for the first time too, but there's a, there's a different standard. There's a different attention at quarterback and a lot is on his shoulders. So I'm curious to see, I'm going to be writing about it this week. You know, it's something we've already talked about and I'm going to flesh it out a little bit more. Uh, just from the, some of the conversations that we've had around the team this week about Comicord's makeup and his mentality and his demeanor and how that has to now, that could be the exceptional trait that Ryan Day talked about and how that needs to come out in a big way at Notre Dame. We're not the only people who had questions about Comicord. No, this this team did. Emeka Buka admitted as much. He said, yeah, I had questions about Comicord, but his was more of the leadership part. And could he lead? And could he get outside himself a little bit? And we saw that they put the game day trailer out every Thursday, and there's a part in it where Kyle McCord is very much not the you know melancholy person, professional person we know him to be. He's loud and he's rah-rah with it. But there were things that Emeka Buka and these offensive guys needed to figure out about Kyle McCord. Now, he said that a lot of this stuff was figured out in the offseason, so he doesn't have any questions. But we're, they got to see it because they're behind the scenes in the locker room. We're getting to see it in real time now. And I think that 
the best Kyle McCord could do against Western Kentucky is tell us if he's good or not. And I think he did that. Okay, Kyle McCord's a pretty good quarterback. Notre Dame is about how good. Are you nine and three good? Are you ten and two good? Eleven and one good? Twelve and zero oh good? National championship good? Heisman Trophy first round draft pick good? That's what the Notre Dame in the second half of the schedule is going to tell us. Because first two weeks, figure out he, if he's for sure your starter. Cool, he's for sure your starter. Week three, is he good? Yes, Notre Dame. How good? And I think that's a good progression for the first four weeks. That's a lot of goods in one sentence, but that's listen, is Kyle McCourt good or not is where we're at at this point. But that's a that's where we were always gonna get to, Andrew, with these first four weeks and how we assess him as a quarterback. So one of the things I said in our stand up video that we did after this was I graded Kyle McCord on a curve against Indiana and I gave him a B minus and there were a lot of people who did not think so favorably of his afternoon. And I think a lot of people, what what I think a lot of people saw was they only scored 23 points. It was Indiana. This team last year scores 50 on Indiana or, or however, you know, whatever was kind of going through their mind. And I think that was always kind of unfair. I gave him a B minus for that Indiana game because I thought, you know, hey, look, this is not, this is relatively for his first start, a Big Ten road game, blah, blah, blah. This is okay. All right, you can work with this. this I, I would grade him slightly above average. Gave him a B plus last week. And I think that relative scale is going away. And Nathan had a really good point because that relative scale is going away. Because at some point, you've, you can't just say like, ah, it's his first year. You, you can't handle him with baby gloves anymore, or kid gloves anymore. You, you've got to look at Kyle McCord and be like, he's the quarterback of a team that has national championship aspirations. It's okay to do that whole well, he's learning. Well, we'll see how he does. And well, we'll do, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's okay to do that in the first couple of weeks. This is a whole other test. I, I use this analogy with the offensive line, I think it was. Um, but basically what happened was Kyle McCord got, let's say, a B in the first three games. And that was just a regular course. And now he's about to take AP US history against Notre Dame. So you get a C plus, And guess what? That shows up on the report card as a B plus because, hey, look, it's a harder class. It's a more difficult thing to do. It's a more difficult thing to succeed at. Yeah, you need him to do better than a C plus, especially against Notre Dame. But like Notre Dame has, I think, maybe better than people think, sneaky good corners. Um, Benjamin Morrison is is a really good sophomore corner. Uh, their number two, Cam Hart, is a player who will probably be drafted in a couple of months. So like. He's going to have to play NFL corners for the first time in his college career. Like the genuine NFL corners. Like Benjamin Morrison was a preseason All-American corner. Like like that's what we're talking about here. You know, we're we're talking about NFL players now and that is what Comacord has to go up against. So I, I don't know. I think for me the relative scale is going to stay for the Notre Dame game because if he like look, if he, if he does 19 of 23 for 318 yards and three touchdowns, I don't care if Marvin Harrison is eight yards behind the defense when he throws the bomb to him. If, if he if he puts this performance out there, we're going to start saying the word Heisman a little bit. And we're going to start to talk about that a little bit more if if he goes out there and Ohio State has a really, really good day and Kyle McCord puts up some numbers. So I think this whole thing has been building and you put it in a really good way. We know kind of, we know he's good. We know kind of that there is a baseline, I think, for Kyle McCord. 
it's time to find out how good. I think there's two things that could happen. Two things, two ways this can unfold next Saturday. The first one is that the rest of this team steps forward in a way that this isn't all on Kyle McCord's shoulders. You know, they only scored 21 points to beat Notre Dame last year. There's no guarantee that they're going to go in and just blow the roof off that place. Well, I guess it doesn't have a roof, but you know what I'm saying. That is this, is this, does this offensive line block well enough that this running game can get on track early on and have some of the explosiveness that we saw today? Can this, will this defense stand up against? I know we talked a lot about the tests that it faced this week. I think Sam Hartman is no worse than Austin Reed that they just played and possibly better. And I think top to bottom, this is probably a better offense than what they just saw from Western Kentucky. So, you know, does, does this defense stand up another week and, and and not you know and, and give this offense some margin for error in a game like this but the thing is even if those two things are true even if both sides of the ball even the running game and everybody else on the offense and the defense plays well there's no guarantee that you're running away with it so then that's where the second thing comes forward that there may be that time in the fourth quarter where it's tight and Comcord has to go out and win this game. And then it does kind of go more on his shoulders. I think both those things are true. That on, on one hand, Ohio State has to do everything it can not to make this about Comcord having to go out and, and win this game. But then sometimes those games arise where then it is in the quarterback's hands. And now what are you? So I think that's how more I'm judging this. That like I'm not, it, to me, it's not about him coming in and having some fantastic statistical performance. It's about the, the the team just being cohesive and and executing, and then if that's enough for you to pull away, because even though they only scored twenty one last year, it wasn't like the Notre Dame threatened them into the fourth quarter. There was some cushion mm-hmm. there, so it was just kind of a a a a just a win. It wasn't like an emphatic win. Um, so it could be similar to that, and maybe they just maybe they just put enough space and and hold on. But if it does, if you know they've got the ball in their hands and they're down three with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, what do you? What are you? Or later, like, how do you get that done? You know, I think we accurately gauged this in 2021 when Ohio State had the Oregon game, and obviously that was a defensive letdown that day, and other things were going wrong with that team at the time, but. C.J. Stroud did have the ball in his hands with a chance to go and drive and win the game, and he wasn't ready for that yet against a team that was that decent. Like he, That wasn't where he was at. It was just, again, the margin for error was too slim. He threw a pick trying to make something happen. I don't. It wasn't like something where we necessarily harshly judged him at the time. It was just sort of a matter-of-fact thing that, like, you know what, that isn't, you know, they put themselves in a bad spot, and he wasn't yet the quarterback who could lift them out of that. And we saw by the time we got to the Georgia game, he kind of was. It just didn't quite finish. You know what I mean? The, the, the circumstances just didn't quite get there, but I think he did about all he could. And that's maybe where Kyle McCord is, you know, what you can expect him to be able to do at Notre Dame next week might not be what he'll be able to do later in his career. So I think it, it, it as, as much as he needs to be good, and there's a lot riding on his performance, um, I, I think of this as a holistic thing. Like, I, I think this whole program came out of last season into this season with big questions to answer. Didn't answer all of them completely through these first three games. And now there are still some things left unanswered that are going to have to be answered by the whole team on Saturday in the in South Bend. I think that that's a really good way to look at it because 
what have we heard about Comicord from Ryan Day for weeks? That it's his consistency. It's how he's even keeled. It's how everything, you know, he, he doesn't get too up or too down. You hear those things a lot. And that's, look, for a guy in third year, that it's pretty impressive to, you know, especially, you know, making his first couple of starts here, kind of being handed the reins. Like, you want that ability in your quarterback. I will say it is a lot easier to have that kind of mentality when you are not in, you know, a, a, a super, super, um, you know, I guess in-depth quarterback battle where it's, you know, Devin Brown and yourself are splitting 50-50 reps. Or it's not, you know, it's not as hard as it will be to kind of stay even keel when you have a sack fumble against Western Kentucky at a game at home than you do in a game at Notre Dame Stadium. So the question, I think, for Kyle McCord now is the physical talent we can see. And we hear about this even keel nature of him. The question for me is, how can he grow up quickly as a mental, like a, a mentally, and how can he grow up as a leader? Because right now, like quarter, let's just put quarterback in a vacuum. If the game is tied 24-24 and your team's getting the ball back with three minutes left on your own 25-yard line, you're taking Sam Hartman in that game. Quarter again, receivers aside, all if you were to if you were to va- if you were to put him in a vacuum, quarterback to quarterback. Who would you rather lead an offense in general? You're taking Sam Hartman over Kyle McCord. Now you start to get into the whole, oh, well, Ohio State's receivers. I don't know if I I agree with that. Well, and I don't want to dip too much into the the future pod, but I think today you saw it on – Kyle McCord, I think, in in this way, is a really good encapsulation of the game because you saw what he could do, right? He had the sack fumble. He messes up. He does. Uh, you know, he had the one where he held on. He held on to it too long. He fumbles the ball. And then he comes back on Ohio State, scores five straight touchdowns. Can you do that against a better team? Can you do that? Can you do those same good things against a team like Notre Dame? Because, again, you're facing a guy who's seen a lot in, in six-year Sam Hartman. Can you match that? Can you do that again? Because if you can, y- you have to start to think pretty differently about Kyle McCord and kind of what his ceiling can be if he's able to go into Notre Dame Stadium and do that, because that is a completely different level of staying even keel and staying consistent and doing all those things when you, I'm again, no offense to the three teams that they've played, but they genuinely have a chance to lose to Notre Dame. And it's a lot different from when that, from that to when you're 28 point favorites. I'm going to save my thoughts on that for a future pod because I'm just very intrigued by y'all's opinions of Sam Hartman because I don't know if I agree with a lot of that stuff I think that but I do I think in theory some of that is why Ryan Day decided to keep him out there for that two-minute drill and they scored in three plays 50 in 20 seconds in the half so I think the, the scenarios as best as they can they're creating those scenarios that Kyle McCord is going to see later down the line I think the bigger point that needs to be made here is Kyle McCord needs to be very good next week they need to make sure that he doesn't have to be perfect and that's, as you're talking about, Nathan, that's what C.J. Stroud ran up into against Oregon. In a vacuum, 35 for 54 for 484 yards and three touchdowns is a very, very good day. It's just not perfect. But because the defense wasn't up to standard, the running game wasn't up to standard, your quarterback had to be that much better. And comparing it to some other quarterbacks the first time they played a real opponent, Dwayne Haskins against TCU, that was the first legitimate opponent. Because I remember even... Nick Bosa had said it. This is like the first time we're going to play somebody where we're going to find out we're real or not. He was 24 of 38 for 344 and two touchdowns. 
in comparison to what his season was, it was pretty pedestrian. But the, at that point in the season, some of the other elements around him, J.K. Dobbins had 121 yards. Mike Weber added another 64 yards. The defense was getting touchdowns because Nick Bosa hadn't gotten hurt yet. Dwayne Haskins didn't have to be perfect. Justin Fields, when he went into the Nebraska game in 2019, when we thought Nebraska was ready to take that next step. Road game, once again, this is away from Ohio State. Justin Fields was 15 for 24 for 212 yards and three touchdowns, plus another 72 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Pretty decent, but what we know Justin Fields to be, it's not his best day, but Chase Young and Jeff Okuda had the most, the front end and the back end, work together type of play ever to start that game off when they when Chase Young ch- forced Nebraska's quarterback out of the pocket and then Jeff Okuda picked him off. Then he had another pickoff later. The defense was awesome that year. J.K. Dobbins had 177 yards that game. They didn't have to be perfect. They had to be good. C.J. Stroud had a game like that later on in 2021, where against Penn State at home, 22-34, 305 yards and a touchdown. Good, but we've seen C.J. Stroud be a lot better than that. But the defense is getting touchdowns. The run game, Travion Henderson had 152 yards that game. Those are games where against opponents of like-minded talent, at least we think that, Going into it, the quarterback is very good, but he's not asked to be perfect, and Ohio State walks away with a win. And I think that's what matters. We saw that Kyle McCord can be very good. If Ohio State's going to ask him to be perfect next week, I don't know if they win that game or not. I don't. But I do know that when the quarterback is asked to just be very good and the weapons around him allow him to not feel like he has to be perfect, history has shown us, whether it's TCU, whether it's Nebraska, whether it's Penn State, Ohio State can win that game, and usually they win that game pretty emphatically. That was a lot on Kyle McCord. I thought it was good, though. I thought we did a good job of mentioning Western Kentucky maybe three times. I'm proud of us for that. I would say the only thing that I'm upset with with Western Kentucky was they didn't wear their, like, really cool helmets, like the chrome ones, where, like, uh... like red grimace, like, that, like, that's their, like, helmet logo. I'm upset that they didn't wear those. So that's my mm. thoughts on Western Kentucky for today, If in case you were and here. And that's the only thoughts we're going to have on Western Kentucky today. When we come back, we're going to flip over to the defensive side and we're going to discuss what we learned about Ohio State's defense and what it means for the Notre Dame game when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Sign up for the text 614-350-3315. We were sending stuff out before the game. We were sending a lot of stuff out during the game because, listen, that's what we're going to do on Saturdays. We're going to send you a lot of texts. And we were sending stuff to you after the game when we talked with Ryan Day, Kyle McCord. We talked with Denzel Burke, Emeka Buka, and Steel Chambers. And Nathan Denzel Burke through three weeks, I think he's a dude. And going forward, we're almost where we were with him his freshman year, where it was like, oh, okay, that's pretty decent, but can you do it against good teams? And it was like, yeah, you look good for a freshman. I think he just looks good for a cornerback right now. And as the schedule presents better options, maybe I'm talking out of turn here because it is very, very early. But the early returns tell me this guy is going to be in line for the All-American conversations at the end of the year. Is that too far? Oh, no, no. I think, I mean, he's already on the radar for that. That that definitely helps. I mean, he's someone who just by nature of having been a, a freshman All-American and in some of those accolades, I mean, he's he's in the mix. But he's certainly backing it up with this play right now. And I think that there is going to be some momentum that builds with his name maybe emerging as, you know, out of this whole secondary, if, if this defense kind of continues on this trajectory and they start looking for the people that 
got it there. I think he's going to come up. And I think Ohio State's going to probably support that because even if it's not a statistical case, right now he's one of the guys who is setting a tone out there. He's setting sort of an emotional tone, a physical tone with the way he plays. And like, listen, like I I felt so. So last year, let's go back to like the summer of 2022. Mm -hmm. I was the one who was kind of like, you know, let's not get too far out on Denzel Burke. You thought he was pretty solid as a freshman. Let's not like anoint this guy as great. And then I felt a little bad because then when things went as they went in 22, it sounded like I was like setting things up for that. And I wasn't like I, it went worse than I had been expecting. And and you could tell how frustrated he was and how he probably and he admitted this like recently uh, that maybe he had let some things lapse in the preseason going into 2022 and didn't take everything as seriously as he should have. And I certainly wasn't that's, you know, behind closed doors. I wasn't seeing that. I was really just talking about, let's not put too much on this guy's shoulders. Uh, let him kind of keep developing at a, you know, the normal pace and then gets hurt in preseason misses some practice. Like we've talked about all this before, but just looked lost at times on the field last year. Like he was not setting a tone. In fact, it was almost like a tone detriment at times for him because I'm just remembering the game against Toledo. Um, earlier games last year were like like the other teams are sort of chucking the ball up sometimes in a semi-desperate way, and um, he's he's just not contesting catches. He just wasn't. It just it was it just wasn't the same guy that we saw as a freshman, and it certainly bore no resemblance to the player that we're watching now. And I, I think. I'm very curious, like the there's a drive in him that I think is contagious. And a lot of people in that secondary had something to prove this year, whether it's Davis and Igbenosan transferring up here, whether it's Jordan Hancock and everything he missed. And now he's being having to adjust to this new role. And I thought he had like kind of an up and down day today a little bit, but it was funny. Like there was a moment where I, I literally said out loud to you, like, I don't think he's having a good day. Like at the exact moment that he like drills a guy and forces a fumble, um, you know, John Carter coming in as a transfer, Sonny styles as a 17 year old or, or whatever he is right now. I mean, like it, it, a lot of people had something to prove and it, he among them is sort of a voice and a very like, he he has a voice that speaks for this team and this whole defense. And that is important, but he had the voice last year. I mean, he was using his voice as a freshman, maybe sometimes to his detriment. And now that he's backing up that voice in a big way. And I just think that reverberates. And when you have a defense where, you know, Tommy Eichenberg is a, a bigger voice on the field than he is when he has to talk to us, totally understand but it's still a different demeanor. I think even like, you know, JT is pretty fiery out there at times. Um, there's some other guys on this defense that are important people, and I don't know if they're if they have quite that same resonance. But like the way that Denzel Burke is like, you know, setting a standard and then also following through on it, I think is potentially very very important for if if we look back at this team in January and see that this defense continued this rise and really was a thing this year and that it surged back to a higher level. And there's metrics out there that are already kind of starting to support that. Then I think that we're going to look at him 
And as much as anything he does on the field, just kind of the way he carries himself and what that means to his team, I think it'll be part of a big reason. Andrew, the reason why I wanted to start with Denzel Burke is Austin Reed today, 21 of 37 for 207 yards, a touchdown and an interception. That's the second least amount of yards he's thrown for as a starting quarterback. The least, the least amount he's had was against Alabama Birmingham, where he was 14 of 23 for 128 yards. But they, the passing attack for Western Kentucky was not very explosive or very poignant, whatever. And I do think that, to Nathan's point, that starts with Denzel Burke because they didn't shy away from him. They went after him a little bit, and it was just pass breakup after incompletion after pass breakup after incompletion. And I agree with Nathan. I think a lot of stuff that's happened with this defense, he said with his play, he's not a cat, whether it's his voice, but his play out there from the Indiana game where it was really good, and then to the Youngstown State game where he gets to pick, and then today he gets the forced fumble that ends up with Tyreek Williams getting a touchdown. I think his play is setting a tone for how good this defense has been through three weeks. And Notre Dame doesn't have the best wide receivers, but just in general, there's going to be better wide receivers for him to go up against. But I like what I see from him so far. Yes, Denzel. Look, Denzel Burke has been really, really good through three games. You mentioned the receiving talent, and and I mean today was the first team that they played, and like. Actually, I'm going to say more about Western Kentucky. I know we said we only named them like three times Ew. in the Comic Court thing. Um, I will Ew. give Western Kentucky props because you know what they did today? They tried. Indiana was interested in covering the spread, and Youngstown State was kind of interested in getting at Now, Youngstown State, I get it. Youngstown State wanted to get the heck out of there. Like, you, you try and shorten that game, but. Western Kentucky, man, they threw the ball 39 times. Um, they threw it more than they ran it. You know what? They tried. Good for them. I'm glad that they. I'm glad that they threw the ball. I'm glad that they aired it out. Uh, so props to Western Kentucky for not just kind of like just keeling over at the first sign of trouble. Um, that aside, the the passing attack today was the first time that they really saw one. So I think today was like like Denzel mentioned this, like this was kind of a good ramp up period. Like this was a game that they needed to have. I think he was kind of talking that in terms of this was a game that they needed to have in terms of completely shutting down an opposing offense and also kind of building that energy. But I think we're doing a disservice to the defensive line. If we say that the passing numbers for Reed were, you know, kind of uh, the the corners shut him down. Um, I looked up the stats as you were talking about that. Uh, Ohio State was credited as having two sacks today and two quarterback hits. Uh, I have questions about who does the stats for quarterback hits because Austin Reed looked like he was down a little bit more than that. And more importantly, he was kind of running for his life for a decent amount of the afternoon. I thought he had to kind of hit the eject button on a lot of pockets early. And that helps everybody look good, right? You know, you can get after the court. You can play great defense and not sack the quarterback. You can be a disruptive pass rusher and be a fantastic pass rusher and not sack the quarterback. Now, eventually you've got to get home. You know, I I made this point with the offensive line in one of our stand-up videos like eventually, you know, if you give up sacks that's going to hurt you and you know, you can't have those negative plays, but the defensive line was I thought really good today. And it's not even the fact that, ah, oh, well, if you only have two set, whatever it is against a team that throws the ball this much, you should have X amount of sacks or whatever. Like we talked 
all week about how Western Kentucky was going to basically take the snap and get rid of the ball. Like I said that the defensive line wasn't going to have a sack, you know, and, and I don't think that that was necessarily insane because I thought that what I thought that Western Kentucky was going to take the snap and immediately get the ball up, immediately throw the ball and try and get it in space. And I don't think that they necessarily tried to veer from that. I just think that Ohio State, they ran a lot of unique looks. They were doing a lot of stunting up front. They really got after Reed, and I think that they kind of set the tone today. So, yeah, Denzel Burke has been great. I I think that's absolutely fair to say, like, especially in a game. I mean, the Notre Dame game, yeah, Notre Dame doesn't really have – I think Notre Dame has, like, a bunch of number two and three receivers for, like, a Power 5 program, like, in college football. but. Yeah, he's not going to shut down, you know, a guy who's like a Marvin Harrison Jr. He's not going to have to face that guy this week, but there's only one of him. But you get my point. Like, he's not going to have to face a true number one, but those are the games that kind of get you noticed. So it's not fair to put him or it's not unfair to put him in that conversation. But yeah, man, this this defensive line, they were good today. And I thought that they impacted a whole heck of a lot, not just in kind of like, you know, runs and, and kind of bringing down the quarterback, putting the quarterback. I thought that they really helped out the secondary. Nathan, by my count, I counted seven QB hits where it's, you know, it's, it's, and that they, I feel like that math kind of lines up with what maybe you guys were thinking. I was watching a little bit closer, but that sounded a little closer in my mind. I told, I said this to Nathan as well during the game. I'll tell you what, Western Kentucky does a really good job of getting the third and two. However, they, it's a lot through the air, but they did a very good job. Of their third down attempts, there were only five third and long opportunities and I mean like third and five or longer opportunities in this game where they threw the ball I think Ohio State took advantage of those third and long situations when they did arrive because then we saw I don't want to say we saw what we saw in the spring from the defensive line or in the fall but we saw signs of it and I'm almost going to apply the calm accord logic to the defensive line okay it's good but Notre Dame's going to tell us how good because they've got two guys in Blake Fisher and Joe Alt. Joe Alt is for sure a top 15 pick in the NFL. It's him and Olu Fashanu are going to be tackle number one in that draft. And then Blake Fisher has been very quality as well. And this may be a second round, maybe pushes to be a first round draft pick. So if we today, the question was, is the defensive line good? What's their floor? And next week is their ceiling. For starters, just to make sure that we're clear on this, I'm, the QBH that's in the Defensive stats is actually QB hurries. Is it hurries? So okay. that's a different stat than hits. Like, hurries right. is more about did you affect right. how quickly they threw the ball. Hits, you can, yeah. you know, a guy stands in the pocket and gets it off clean, um, but takes the hit. So it is a different yeah. stat. So probably somewhere in the middle there is is where the truth lies. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a broken record at this point. I just, I didn't think that the defensive line performance was as big of a deal as some people were making it out to be through two games. Uh, I also, like Andrew, was had strongly suspected that maybe this game wouldn't tell us a whole lot in terms of how often these guys are getting home uh, against an offense like this. Like they just they do snap it off a little bit faster. So the number of times it's not, you can look at a, a, a stat sheet at the end of the game and be like, oh, 30-some passes. But like now go down and break it down, and how many of those times was there a legitimate pass rush opportunity? And, like, you know, yes, it's not great if you keep going game after game after game and nobody gets home off those ends. Like, we thought that those ends were going to be a thing this year that propelled this defense. So it can't be zero after every single week. 
But within a single game, going 0 for 7 in attempts or whatever is not a, probably a terrible ratio across college football. But you're all right. Like, it's this is the week. Like, this is the week where it's got to show up. This is the week where, like, you know, you think you're an NFL edge rusher. We know that these guys are NFL tackles. I think these guys are NFL players, too. But, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're upper echelon NFL prospects, so are these guys. So now you're head-to-head. What happens? And this isn't, as you said, Andrew, this isn't the only test. Like, it's, there's going to be others. This is one of the more significant ones. And it's, you know, your fact you're going on the road, you know, adds to it. And then now I think that there is a little bit of every week that they go by and they don't have one. Like, if we had said going into the season, like how many games will go by before JT Tuamaloa or Jack Sawyer has a sack? Like nobody would have been like, that would have been the first <laughs> one. Like yeah, would have been the how first many, one. how many games go by before even one of them gets a sack? Would anybody have yeah. said, Oh, I think it'll probably take like four five, seven yeah. games. Like, no, people would have been like, these guys are ready. They've, they, they looked, we saw what they looked like in the spring. Now the caveat there is it was happening against Ohio state's offensive line, which at time, especially was a bit of a shambles and is now hope they think sort of starting to come together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was rough in the spring. Andrew, you weren't there, but it was it was rough at times. Well, and 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 so I I is it but still they were just so dominant though. Like they were eating people alive at times in some of those spring mm-hmm. practices that we saw. And we thought that that was an indication of what we would see when Ohio State played teams of that quality, which is what they've played through three games, right? Indiana, mm-hmm. Youngstown State, Western Kentucky, we thought that what we saw in the spring would translate to what we've seen. And it has not translated statistically for sure. So I think that there just has to be something more in order to beat Sam Hartman. I don't think you can't, I I don't think you win this game without getting after Sam Hartman. Now, it's not all on those two guys, though, is the other important thing to remember. Like Ohio State is not a defense that the only pass rush comes off the edge. Like the, my call is who he is for a reason. Tyleek Williams is who he is for a reason. I think Tyleek Williams started this game against Western Kentucky for a reason because they wanted an extra pass rush presence in there at, at the start of this game, along with my call, as opposed to starting Ty Hamilton, which which is a look that they've often used against these run-oriented teams. So, you know, there's other guys here who can create that, but we haven't seen it off those guys. When Kenyatta Jackson has played, we haven't quite seen that same ferocity yet from him and uh, that's I I, sh- I I hesitate to use that word because I think I want to look at this uh, this next game on film this past game tonight and see what those guys look like because I again like peripherally I think we see them like JT Tuomaloa looks a little bit annoyed out there right now like yes. I think he knows I think he feels the like he felt the the expectations and I think he feels that this is it's it's not like he's out there getting dusted. I just think he he is close, but not quite there. And I think there were a lot of times last year where this pass rush was close, but not quite there. And this doesn't feel like a step forward yet. So I've been in the camp that it's not a concern yet, but I think it has to be there against Notre Dame. Some of that will be maybe naturally what happens against what Notre Dame does offensively that creates some more opportunities, but then they have to capitalize. We can't just assume that because the opportunity is there, they'll win it and they'll get there. That's the step that they have to take care of. 
Well, and then the I think last year when it was happening, regardless of whether it was holds or him just not getting home, you could feel the frustration when we would talk to him in the midweek, and then yeah. he had a build up week, and then the Penn State game happened, which was never I, sustainable, right? So it ne- it never happened in a way that felt like okay, it was building towards something. It was just this okay, you had a good week. Greatest game we've ever seen from a defensive lineman in college football history, arguably. And then, it, you know, it just kind of tailored back off. So as great as it would be if it just kind of hits next week and he does the Penn State thing again, I mean, we'd all talk about it. But it would almost be like this time around, if he has a sack and a half next week, I think we would all be looking at him and going, okay, what's next? But the, the, the other thing real quick, though, Andrew, the other thing real quick, though, is that Back, you know, go a couple months ago when we were doing our predictions, our Market Now Mondays, and we had to pick Ohio State sack leader. None of us picked JT to him a while because that's yeah. not who he is primarily as a football player. He has a broader skill set than that. And yes, he plays defensive end, and you have yeah. to have a pass rush. You have to bring that intimidation from that position. But Jack Sawyer's the guy that we thought would actually be the one stepping into his own as a pass rush, and they don't have him doing jack stuff. Man, well, nobody's talked about the jack. We're three games into this season, and that's just a mm-hmm. <laughs> that thing is already vanished. Um, like th- we thought that maybe he would be the guy that was creating a lot of that threat, and it hasn't been there from him either. For some reason, I feel like more of this has settled on JT just because he's maybe the bigger name, although yeah. JT is a shorter name, but he is a a a more of the face of the defense in some ways because of that Penn state game, because of other things. So I, I think that I'm like Jack Sawyer, I think is maybe the one that I think has to get a little bit going, going into this Notre Dame game because um, he doesn't have as broad of a skill set as JT to does. And um, I just, you, you can see the frustration on JT to He had the plate tonight where he dropped back into coverage and then, Western Kentucky like threw a screen or something like out into him. And then he just sort of tried to do a shoulder bump to knock a guy down. And he just bounced off and went and it goes down as a, a blown tackle. And I just, it's, it's something's been off there. And I think maybe this is the kind of week that for some guys, it can be a distraction. Maybe it's a thing that mm-hmm. like focuses him in and we start to see him use the broader skill set and, and Jack Sawyer get that pass rush going sorry Andrew that wasn't as short as I said it was gonna be no no, you're fine I'm glad you said that because I think the frustration point that goes away very quickly if you have a good game against Notre Dame because not just the stakes not just everyone in the country is going to be watching that game because all the bigger games are going to happen during the day. Like this is going to be a huge television show. Like everybody in the country is going to watch this game. This is a huge game for both team seasons. You're going up against NFL players. Like this is a money game for, for both JT and Jack, right? Like, you know, I, the example that all, all like the two ones that came to head or came to my mind real quick were um, when I was in college, uh, Terrell Basham defensive end for Ohio they played Tennessee, and he was the best defensive end on the field. And nobody was talking about this guy being an NFL draft pick. And he ended up as a third-round pick. And what everybody talked about was because he was the best defensive end on the field, and that was a Tennessee team that had Derek Barnett at defensive end. He had uh, Terrell had, I think, two sacks that day. He was the best defensive end on the field. He became a third-round pick, and everybody pointed to that game. Last year, Everybody, like uh, Isaiah Foskey for Notre Dame, their defensive end, he came back to be a first-round pick. And when 
they played Ohio State, Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones locked him up. They had that man in prison. And when Isaiah Foskey went in the second round last year, there was a lot of concern. If you remember like the scouting reports and the draft reports with like the, the talking heads on ESPN when they drafted him, well, he didn't really do that well against high-level competition. JT Tumaloa and Jack Sawyer could have, you know, they should be looking at this going, if I go out there and I get two sacks, that is all anybody's going to remember, especially from the first month of the season. Now, you can't just go lay a dud for the next eight, nine games, but if you go out there and you play, like if JT Tumaloa is able to put him just dusting Joe Alt, it's not going to look good for Joe Alt, but if he can dust Joe Alt like two or three times, get to the quarterback, make a big impact play, that is what gets you money in the NFL, right? That and uh, that is what gets you drafted high in the NFL. That is going to be the thing where Mel Kiper says Todd, 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 and he says, "Look at JT Tumaloao, you know, blow by Joe Alt, and Joe Alt just went ninth, and now JT's going, you know, eleventh or wh- whatever it is. This is it. Like this, all of this frustration, I think, for this defensive line, whatever there is for JT, for Jack, for whoever, this is a big, this is a big time spot, and, and I think that, yeah, you know." There might be something to the defensive line. You know, they said, you know, Ryan Day said they're not super impacted by those first two games and they understood it. And I get it. But as a defensive lineman, you want to get to the quarterback. You want to, you want to have your sacks. You do this against Notre Dame. Two sacks against Notre Dame matters far more than like, I would say a handful against Youngstown State and Western Kentucky and Indiana. See, but the thing is, I don't think he's thinking about that. I don't think he because is either, but I think that this I, I whole... Don't, I, yeah. I don't think it's, it's not... Because it's not just about the Notre Dame. Because what he did against Penn State last year is why people think he's a first-round draft pick. But when Big we talked game, to him about right? that... Yes, but when we talked to him in Indianapolis at Big Ten Media Days, he did everything he could to downplay the Penn State game. And look at the other 12 games they played that year and how it wasn't consistent. And right now, he is known for what he did as a big-time player in that big-time game. But there are 12 other games on that schedule where he wasn't that. He wasn't even close to it. It was like Penn State game was 100, and everything else was like a 15. And he needs to be like a 75 at all times, and that's where he's trying to get to. And so, yes, it would be great if he goes into the Notre Dame game and does 80-75% of that Penn State game. But it would also be good if he comes out of that game and does it every week following that. Because that's what made Chase Young the number two pick. It's not that he just did it against Penn State in Wisconsin. That's where it was maximized. But it wasn't the only time he did that. He did well, that J- every single week. Well, JT is consistently a problem. Yeah, JT's not Chase Young, and nobody's saying that. But I'm, but I will say this: well, when people, when you say JT, name a game from JT Tumaloao for to fans, to whoever, to media. What are they going to? The, the Penn State game is the first one that comes to mind. It's also the only one. And, that yeah, comes and there's to definitely mind. a scouting adage. Yeah, but there's definitely a scouting adage like "do it once, you can do it again." Like that, that's out there. But the other thing, I mean, seventy five percent the 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 Penn State game was not about JT Tumalau getting to the quarterback. It's it's a totally different thing mm-hmm. that we're talking about here. He was he was he yeah. was doing like basketball tip drills to himself and getting <laughs> yeah. interceptions. Like it was uh, that 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 game was just an, an outlier in so many ways. And it, we're mostly talking about pass rush here. There were things that happened in that Penn State game that just came to JT Tumalau and he took advantage of it. What we're talking about here is these defensive ends. Can they get? Can they beat these f- future NFL offensive tackles and get in the backfield? 
you know, some version, like at some point, like Ohio State's got two of these guys. Like we, yeah. we've seen what happened in 2021. I don't have to, 2022, 2021. I don't have to tell anybody this, uh, but I'm going to. Ohio State had two NFL offensive tackles. Ohio State had two future NFL offensive tackles. And yeah. actually, it had a third one playing uh, right guard that day. And the two pass rushers from Michigan chewed them up, spit them out. Like, mm-hmm. that they rose to the challenge that day. And I don't know that they would have beat them up that bad 10 times out of 10, but they did it that one day. So I'm not saying that Tumaloa and Sawyer have to be uh, Hutchinson at his best. But there, I think there does need to be, as much as I've been like the one kind of pumping the brakes on how much this is a concern, this is the week where the breakthrough has to come. Because it's this is why you came here. This is your... So many of the expectations of, of defensive improvement for Ohio State are based on guys like Tuamaloau and Sawyer being third-year guys coming into their own, playing the best football of their careers. And this is the week where that's sort of the the baseline that you got to see. No, I, I I'm with you there. That's regardless of which one it is, whether it's Jack Sawyer or JT Tuamaloau, these are two five-star recruits whose careers at this point have not been five-star careers. And if it's going to happen, this is the this is the runway to do it, right? It, of, because of who the talent – and it's not even about just Aiden Hutchinson. In that game, Aiden Hutchinson did most of the work, but it was the concept of Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo and what they did in pairing throughout that season. Aiden Hutchinson was just the better player of the two of them. But having guys on both ends – who could be a disruptor in the past game for your defense. And right now we've seen flashes, but we haven't seen it in totality and consistently from either one of these guys. And to your point that this is the runway to be able to do that. We're going to take one last break and I'm going to ask Nathan and Andrew one question. So I'll let them know what that question is when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. And we're back on Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, and Andrew Gillis. We did a video about this, and I thought it was an interesting discussion in the video. So I want to continue it a little bit on this pod here. Simple question. What's the one question you have about Ohio State heading into its first legitimate real game of the season against Notre Dame? Andrew, you go first. The offensive line. We have seen enough from Kyle McCord to say there is a baseline there. And the running game should be good. Like The running backs are good enough. To, to help that out. And the receivers are certainly good enough to help that out. I think the defense is really talented. There's a lot of things, and, and I, I know you could take a macro level. You could kind of look at this a lot of different ways, but I think the offensive line impacts a lot, You know, not just for the obvious reasons, but this team, like Ohio State, is going to be more talented than probably every team they're going to play. Like it, At least in terms of like recruiting rankings, they're going to be more talented than every team that is on their schedule. So, you know, I think you look at this and say, okay, what loses Ohio State games? What puts them, you know, in a hole and turnovers and negative plays and things where you beat yourself, I think, are how you do that. Yeah, there's penalties. Yeah, there's all that other kind of stuff. But you can't go into a game and get, you know, and allow five sacks and allow 
second and four to become third and 12 or first and 10 to become second and 21 or first and 10 to become second and 15. You can't put yourself in those positions because Notre Dame, like if you were tiering college football, like Notre Dame and Penn state, like those teams are not in the elite tier, but they're probably in the next tier, which is very good. And that's how you lose games like that. You lose close games to really good teams that are not as good as you are when you have your quarterback thrown off his back foot or when your quarterback doesn't have time to get the ball to the guys in space because you can have the greatest receivers in the world and if Kyle McCord is not able to take a five-step drop against Notre Dame or Penn State or Michigan or whoever, you're in trouble. You know, you can't just run bubble screens the whole game. So I think the offensive line putting it together would be a real benefit for this team, not just in kind of, you know, an easy, oh, they can run the ball now and they can pass block now. This, it would be a lot easier in terms of kind of just preventing the negative, which is frankly, I think how Ohio, if you were to game script it out, that's how Ohio State's going to lose. Like if they were to lose a couple of these games, that's how you would do it. So I think the offensive line, um, I I just, I got to see it against a good team. Mr. Baird. Yeah, I mean, I said the pass rush, which we actually just talked about <laughs> in the ad nauseum uh, when we talked about this after the game. But I want to, I want to add one caveat to everything we just said about the defensive ends because I think this is, to be fair to them, they are the ones who are going to be going up against future NFL tackles. It appears so because there are guys like Mike Hall, Tyleek Williams, guys on this interior, you aren't maybe facing a future NFL first round player. So are you, how often are you beating your guy? How often are you creating, like, go ask quarterbacks. Like, when it, it feels different when that rush comes up the middle sometimes and there's a guy in your face. If that pressure is pulling that pocket backwards and they're backpedaling and they're having to dip, you know what I mean? Now you're pushing them out towards where, you know, it's easier maybe for the, 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 the secondary action there taking you into the hands of one of these defensive ends. So that's the other thing. I, I, I think it just has to be a holistic thing from this defensive line. Um, you know, the, the, I, I think there's a, I don't know if Ohio state can win the offensive line versus defensive line battle. I don't think Ohio state, I don't know if Ohio state's offensive line can like definitively win that battle. Like I think it can hold its own maybe, but I, I'm not ready to say, I think Ohio state, and I don't even know that much about Notre Dame's defensive line, but in general, it's a solid program. I don't know if Ohio State is ready for that yet to win that, like mm-hmm. in a way that just like dominates the game. They might have to win in spite of the offensive line to some extent. But I think this defensive line as a whole, even with that talent that Notre Dame has, I think this defensive line can win that matchup. And I think it might have to. I mean, I said before the season, I think it's it's possible, even though I'm, you know, predicting a national championship for Ohio State, it might hinge on this defensive line. And that seems like a shakier call based on what we've seen in the first three games. So there hasn't been the dominance that we thought there might be, or even that many, maybe enough flashes of dominance. This is, again, the week to show it, but I don't think it's all on the ends. I think a lot of it is just because they're going to have to, we can talk about that NFL matchup, NFL on NFL matchup that we think exists there, but these interior guys have to do their part too. And 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 they've done, you know, we've, we've seen a little bit of that in these first few games. You know, Tyreek Williams and Mike Hall, having some breakthroughs, and I think that they've got to find a way to supplement what's going on from the ends, at the very least. How much is it required of Kyle McCord to win the game? Does he need to go put himself in the Heisman Trophy conversation on Saturday? Or can he just continue his progression to eventually maybe he gets there by the end of the season? That will depend on, you know, 
as Andrew mentioned, the offensive line. How effective are they, especially in the run game? Because the pass protection has actually been pretty stout. Yeah. Even today, the sack he took was in for the strip sack. That was his fault. His fault. It was yep. literally max protection in the middle of the field, which, I mean, that's a that's an interesting play call in that situation. But still, max protection, they throw the ball in that situation. He doesn't get rid of it. And guys are open downfield. That's on him. Does the defensive line – that's an interesting conversation that we're going to have to have this week of – can the Ohio State's defensive line win the day against Notre Dame's offensive line? I think you probably know where we're sitting right now as Saturday on 11-15 at night and we just wrapped up a 63-10 to win over Western Kentucky. You probably say no right now, but it's an intriguing matchup there. Does this defense, is it for real, when they now have to play a team where Notre Dame's not some high-powered offense, but they're clearly going to be the best offense they've faced so far this season. Can they get Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka going early in that game? Is Travion Henderson, some of the signs we've seen from him as a runner, are those going to continue? Trip Trainum has clearly solidified himself as running RB2 in this offense. Does that continue? Can the pieces around Kyle McCord put him in a position where he needs to be a game manager in week one like he should be? Or does he need to start being Heisman Trophy level? And if so, can he be if that happens? Can we have a quick conversation about quarterbacks too? I just want to, I just want to throw this out there for people. You know, okay. a lot of, lot of, lot of hand-wringing about Kyle McCord after the Indiana game, and it's improved over the last two weeks. But, like, Drew Aller today against Illinois, 16 to 33, 208 <laughs> yards. Who was it that Michigan okay. played tonight? Yeah. Who did Michigan play tonight? Um, uh, well, Bowling Michigan, Green, I think. Bowling Green, that's right. I knew it was somebody from the MAC. I mean, I know he had a couple of picks tonight. Uh, they ended up winning that game 31-6. to They ended up pulling away. But McCarthy, 18-13, 143 yards, two TDs, three picks. Against Bowling Green. Bowling Green. <laughs> what? Like, so Nathan, yeah, Nathan and I were actually having a conversation about some of these Big Ten quarterbacks while we were over the press box before our game started, and it looks like guys are starting to come back to the mean. I think put a pin in this because I think this is a good bye week conversation of just kind of ranking the Big Ten court. Who are the top five quarterbacks on Ohio State's in, on the, in the Big Ten as we head into that part of the schedule in the yeah. bye week? Because I think your point is valid. Things look everybody came out explosive except for Ohio State's quarterback. And it was like, oh, and now it feels like everybody else is coming to the mean while Kyle McCord might be ready to take off a little bit here. So let's let's put a pin in that because I, I yeah. do have a very valid point here. It's just, you know. I, I think it just I reinforced yeah. <laughs> it just reinforced what I was saying out of last week that Ohio yeah. State again, put Western Kentucky aside. Western Kentucky was kind of a scrimmage for them, frankly. I mean, no no offense to the Hilltoppers, but that's what it's supposed to be, Ohio State against that level of team. So you're getting ready to go play Notre Dame and Notre Dame knows who its quarterback is. Notre Dame knows Mm -hmm. with great certainty who is leading its team and the faith that it has in that guy. And Ohio State talked about how much it believed in both Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. But I think naming Kyle McCord the starter and getting two weeks of momentum into Notre Dame was critical because you're right. Like, you know, I did a piece on the, for the site a couple months or weeks ago about, you know, is Ohio State going to have the best quarterback in every game that it plays? It did today, by the way. Like there was, yes. I had like three tiers. I had three tiers there that were like, well, no, no chance. And Indiana and Youngstown State were both in that. You know, like those guys aren't challenging Ohio State. And then there was a, a, mm-hmm. a tier of like, you really got something to prove, and that was Hartman and and JJ McCarthy, and I think I might have had Drew Aller in there. And then there was the big middle, which was like, well, you've got our attention. 
And because of what Reed had done last year, I mean, as many yards as he threw for, the fact that he was probably mm-hmm. coming into a game like this, poised, um, knowing, you know, being completely facile in that offense that they run, being able to go out and orchestrate things. Like, this was a game where Ohio State's quarterback had to show up and say, I'm better than that dude. And that definitely happened mm-hmm. today. I think he was, I thought Kyle McCord was a better quarterback and he had better weapons and, and w- whatever, but I thought he was just the better of the two quarterbacks. So I want to, you know, now you're going up against somebody who is a, a different tier. I mean, Sam Bradford's been doing this as we pointed out since Kyle McCord was what a sophomore. Sam, in high school? You, say, like, you said Sam Bradford. I mean, that's not, that is also true. Sorry, yeah. Sam Bradford was yeah, Sam doing Bradford it longer than Kyle McCord. Went to high school yes. together. It's been a long day. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us were up with 16 month olds uh, very early this morning. Um, Sam Hartman was starting games when Kyle McCord was a sophomore in high school, I believe. 2018, mm-hmm. I think he started his first game in college. So he's whatever he is, as old as me, 45, whatever he is. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a guy who is not going to, like, this moment doesn't intimidate him in any way. I'm not saying it intimidates Kyle McCord either. I'm just saying that that's this is the first week where this run of that Ohio State has have been able to walk away from a game saying we definitely had the best quarterback. This is the f- this is the week where that gets a bigger test. We're hitting that run here of Kyle McCord having to answer that question. And I don't know if this is the the, the top of the top because we'll see as other guys, maybe some of these guys bounce back in the coming weeks and makes for another interesting conversation. But Kyle McCord got named officially the starting quarterback this week, and he had to face a battle against a guy where he had to prove was he the better quarterback than the guy who was on the opposite sideline from him. And he said yes, and now he's going to have to do it again seven days from now. And if he can do that, Ohio State might walk out of there with a the win. Sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. Nathan and I will be re-watching this game, and we'll have that breakdown for the Monday pod. Andrew, speaking of quarterbacks, Andrew went to go see a quarterback, a guy who might end up being a five-star recruit by the time he signs. That'll be the Tuesday recruiting pod, and then we'll be back at it. We'll be in Notre Dame week talking with Ryan Day Tuesday afternoon as Ohio State prepares to go play a primetime matchup in South Bend. For Nathan Baird and for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.